Welcome to the teachings of Pastor Mike Yost of the Springs Calvary Chapel in Habern, Idaho. Please join us as we study the Word of God. I'm excited for this morning. Uh, we are in the Gospel of Luke. You can be turning in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Um, I'm going to make a couple comments today uh, having to do with some of the things that are going on in the world today, even though we're going to be discussing something that happened 2,000 years ago. Uh, a lot of the points that Jesus makes here are, are very salient to the day that we live in here, but um, just... Uh, well, I guess I'll just, I'll just start there, and we'll, we'll just take a running start at all of this, okay? So we finished last week in chapter 20, and I ran on into chapter 21. Uh, we've been watching as Jesus has come into Jerusalem. On the last week uh, that He would be with us here on earth as He's preparing to become that Lamb, that would go to the cross in our place to take away our sins. And so we've seen Jesus come in on Palm Sunday. They regarded Him as a king, and in fact, He fulfilled the office of king, as the Bible had predicted that He would be a king with His triumphal entry. And just last week, we read out of Psalm 110, where uh, David, writing in the psalm, says, "'The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool.'" And we see Jesus the king. And then we saw Jesus the priest as he came into the temple and cleansed the temple. And uh, he said, this is my father's house. You have made it a den of thieves. It's supposed to be a house of prayer. And as priest, he fulfilled that duty and that function of setting things right as we would approach God and worship God in the way that God has asked us to do. And today we're going to see him fulfill the role of prophet, okay? King, priest, and prophet. So, uh, at the end of last week, everybody's challenging him with questions, right? The scribes have questions for him, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, everybody's challenging him. They're challenging his uh, pedigree, what makes you king? They're challenging his authority, what makes you priest? And even now, they're going to challenge his word, his divinity. Where do you get off calling yourself God? And so, interesting how this is all going to play out. Um, let's pick up then at verse 5 in Luke chapter 21. Then, as some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations, he said, these things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So, we know this. It's a very familiar passage to many of us as they're there looking at this wonder of the world, this amazing temple that was still under construction. Herod had begun construction on the temple, but at this time it was quite spectacular. But he says, you see that building? Not going to be there anymore. Now, I want to pause for just a moment 
and look at what we see written in the other Gospels. Uh, in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 24 and 25, we cover a lot of the ground that's going to be covered today here in Luke's Gospel, and in Mark's Gospel, chapter 13. And yet, there may be some distinctions. There may be some differences. So, I want to just kind of put those out there for you to look at and ponder. But in Mark's Gospel, in chapter 24, we pick up, um, in, it says in verse 1, Then Jesus went out and departed from the temple, and His disciples came up to Him to show Him the buildings of the temple. And Jesus said to them, Do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left here upon another that shall not be thrown down. And Mark's gospel gives us just a little bit more information. In chapter 13, verse 3, we read, Now, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, and he, they'll go in to tell us when these things will be and what will be the signs that will be fulfilled. Now, I bring that out for you because Luke doesn't mention them leaving the temple. Luke doesn't mention them being on the Mount of Olives. Luke doesn't mention the audience, that it's a private audience, and names them by name. Peter, James, and John, the three that seem to always get the privileged briefing, and then Peter's brother Andrew during these times that are recorded. And there is a possibility that Luke is sharing something a little different than what we see in Matthew 24 and Mark chapter 13. I'll kind of unpack a little bit of that in a while. It's not uncommon to see Jesus share a message more than one time. The Sermon on the the Sermon on the Mount, or you could have filled it out, the Sermon on the Plain, as it's recorded in Luke. Different locations, different numbers of people, but the same message. And quite often, Jesus will repeat a message. It doesn't, in fact, the Bible often repeats messages. We have Gospels where they have these messages, and they're repeated. And uh, Matthew's Gospel truly in understanding what Jesus is unpacking, unpacking uh, we call the Olivet Discourse, okay, discourse or teaching from the Mount of Olives. That's where it gets the name Olivet. That's what this has become famous for and become known as. But we see that it's possibly a little bit different time and location and audience, okay? In Luke's group here, uh, the occasion is the Passover and the audience are the pilgrims, and the um, focus is on what's happening right now to you and what things will be coming to pass in your very near future. Speaking of this temple, that not one stone will be left upon another, there will be an event coming up 38 years from the day that Jesus is speaking this in which the temple will be demolished. But Jesus is speaking to them, you, I want you to be ready, I want you to be aware of what's going on here. In Matthew's gospel, in Mark's gospel, it looks as though, and some of the key words that we see in here uh, indicate that after these things in Matthew's gospel could be after the 
times of the Gentiles, after the church age, into the tribulation and the second temple and the second coming of Jesus Christ. So there's, there's a possibility that two things are in p play here. Now, a lot of this stuff you can go and, you know, you can, you can look up, you can get some commentaries, you can dig into uh, different people that we would recommend. I, I strongly always encourage you to go to Blue Letter Bible. Uh, it's a wonderful site that uh, has lots of resources that you can do some digging in. We as a church support Blue Letter Bible. So when you go on Blue Letter, Letter Bible and you're looking up something and they say, would you like to donate? Of course you can. Or you can say, I just did on Sunday. Because you did, on Sunday, donate towards Blue Letter Bible. So it's a source that we vetted, and uh, all of the different commentators on there um, have been vetted. Not every one of them actually says the same thing, but you can be sure and safe that they're not going to take you off into the weeds, okay? And you're going to be able to find your way down the mainline Christianity in that. A lot of other places you can look these things up. Nevertheless, we're in Luke's gospel, and unlike Matthew, Matthew being a, uh, maybe a stenographer, like a court reporter, it says that he had the gift of tachygraphia, which means he could really write fast or write in shorthand. And so Matthew writes down all kinds of detail, and it's full of all different kinds of things. But Luke here gives a little bit different view from a little bit different time and location. So let's look at it. It says in verse 5, then he's still talking. He had just addressed the scribes, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. He said, woe to them, right? They, uh, they want all these privileges, but they devour uh, widows, you know, keeping. And then he looked while he's there, and he's watching everybody as they are putting money into the temple treasury and uh, how they would put money into the temple treasury. And he notices the rich, the wealthy, the well-off, they're pouring their money in and they have these big old brass kind of horns that when you put the money in, it would make a lot of noise. And you would go and take a big old bag of money and all those coins and everybody go, wow, wow, somebody just gave a lot. Look at that, right? It's kind of like being in a casino when one of the one-armed bandits goes off or something. Everybody would go, whoa, 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 look what happened. But as Jesus is just sitting there watching, a widow comes in and it says, and she gave, how did she give? Out of her need. She had two left done, okay? Just a fraction of a cent. But she didn't keep one and give the other. She gave all. She gave everything out of her livelihood. She gave sacrificially. And Jesus said she gave more than even these. In fact, Paul writes uh, about Jesus in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, and he was he owned the cattle on a thousand hills. He, he owned it all. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you, through his poverty, might become rich. And so, as Jesus is watching this scene unfold, he's not on the Mount of Olives. He's in the temple precinct. It's daytime. It's not evening. And so, there's cause to believe that this is a message that he would share over and over again. And any of you who have been in the church for any length of time, no doubt have been exposed to eschatology. 
No, that doesn't mean you have to go to a doctor and get some kind of antibiotic or, you know, whatever. Eschatology is simply a fancy word for saying last things. And eschatology is the Bible, the theological study of those things that are going to happen in the last days. We live in the last days. So you go to church and you're going to hear a lot of pastors get up and preach on the last days, the days when God has fulfilled His mission through the church. He calls the church home. He judges the world through tribulation. When He set everything right, He comes again to rule and reign for a thousand years till we're all gathered together. The final judgment is done of those who reject Him, and we all inhabit a new heavens and new earth forever and ever. Amen. That's eschatology, okay? And no doubt you've heard that, and you've heard many different versions of that, and no doubt uh, you've had opportunity to become confused at times, maybe like I just did to you this morning, okay? All that to be said, don't want you to be confused, okay? There are abundant scriptures helping us to see that God knows the end from the beginning, before He ever spoke and light was, He knew you. He knew the days that you would live. He knew the good works that you should walk in them. He knew that you would be here this morning, and He knows what is going to happen into the future. And therefore, Jesus in the temple with all these pilgrims there for Passover, helps them to see their current circumstances and off into the future so that when He has been crucified, a couple days hence in chapter 21 here, and been buried and rose again on the third day and ascended into heaven, everybody can say, I was there. I heard what he said. This is that. He told us this was going to happen. And so that's what he's doing. And again, that's what he, the Holy Spirit, is doing this morning, helping us to understand our current circumstances, what is happening in the world, what we can expect to happen, and how can we position ourselves how can we prepare ourselves? How can we participate in His plan in these last days? So, it says, Then some spoke of the temple, how it was adorned with beautiful stones and donations. And He said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Now, this would cause all of us just to go, <gasps> Impossible! Couldn't be! How could that possibly happen? You have any idea how hard it has been? It's been 46 years they've been building it now. They're not done yet. Um, but, man, it's, you can't just do that. That's not, it's impossible, right? And yet, with man, you might say it's impossible. But even we're going to see that God, acting through the agency of men, brought this to pass 38 years future. These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Just a small thought in my head as I'm talking to you right now. And you look at the temple in the world today. 
that we worship at. Not we, you and me, but we as civilization, as mankind. The temple of commerce and industry and culture, right? With all the different things that are going on geopolitically and uh, artificial intelligence and all these different things. This, this incredible structure, this superstructure, which is like, how could anybody possibly dismantle this? Where do you even begin to wrap your head around it? Even the people who are creating it don't get it and find out as they look at it that it's taking on a life of its own. And you, man, that couldn't possibly be dismantled, could it? Let's read. So they asked him, saying, Teacher, but when will these things be, and what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? Two main questions, and Jesus will answer these two questions, but the answer is going to be slightly different in Luke's gospel than it will be in Matthew and Mark's gospel. Keep in mind, the audience asking the question, who's he talking to? A little bit different, but the when and the what. And so we're going to look at this. The when answer comes in verses 7 through 24. The what what will be the signs, picks up then at chapter, or verses 25 through 36. So looks, let's look at his when answer. First thing he says, take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he, and the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. Do not be deceived. And in fact, this is in the imperative it's a command. Don't be fooled. Don't be a fool. Understand and know what is going on. I'm commanding you. He's our king. As our king, we need to obey. We need to understand what's going on here. But the first thing he says before he even gets into the winds is make sure that you don't be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. Uh, and, uh, and that the time is drawn near. Therefore, do not go after them. There's something I want to say, and I'm not sure the right way to say it because I'm struggling with it just like you. But we are watching the information in our world become so twisted and convoluted and corrupted and becoming so unreliable that how would we possibly know what's the truth? I mentioned earlier you can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 21. Now, so that you know, every morning I get up and in my devotions I like to go to um, the U version that we use here at the church. Some of you are on the same place as I am going through in the book of Samuel, we just started into Colossians and something like that. Also, Blue Letter Bible, wonderful devotions. You can follow all along on all of that. I mentioned Blue Letter Bible a couple minutes ago, wonderful resource to go dig in and get information. I mentioned the internet that you can go out and you can find some of these wonderful teachers and find their teachings on that. But this is what I want to say on my heart. Maybe it's pastor's rant edit this out if it makes you uncomfortable. 
But I believe we are living in an age where all of this is becoming suspect. With what is happening with artificial intelligence today, not only um, are we seeing all kinds of aberrant and bizarre things happening, but truly um, many of the people who are out there are really pressing to rewrite the world as we know it. Okay, they're not using uh, missiles and and money. They're using words. And if you can redefine words, you can redefine truth, reality. We already have so many cases where a college professor is accused of some kind of a crime and AI generates fictitious articles from newspapers saying, yeah, when he was with the 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 athletic team on vacation in this city that all these things went on and just smears his name only to find out that school never traveled and never took a trip there. But artificial intelligence has already taken him down. I mentioned last week the World Economic Forum um, with Klaus Schwab and his henchmen, his, his prophet, if you will, Uval Harari, are hard at it rewriting the Bible through artificial intelligence, sanitizing all those dirty parts, you know, like sin, right? Making sure to take all the sin and all the sinners out of the Bible. Just leave the good stuff so we can have a religion that's fit for the whole world. And when you go to open up your device, understand that all of these systems are in play. Artificial intelligence is like uh, Frankenstein's monster. Many of the people who are developing today recognize that it's like Medusa's box, right? And once you've opened it, you can't get the stuff back in. What are we going to do? Know the truth. The truth will set you free. I highly recommend, get yourself a paper Bible while you still can, okay? And I highly recommend that you spend time every day putting the Word in your heart so that you won't be deceived. You have been commanded by your king, don't be deceived. And the way to not be deceived is to put the truth in. Because the days are coming in which strong delusion will be sent into the world that even the elect might be deceived. Now, I don't say this to scare you. I say this to prepare you so that we aren't fooled and that we do stand and that we do not only overcome, but we save many with us. Amen? This is what we're here to do. Okay, so <laughs> I've only got a couple of verses in, but don't be deceived. Okay, <laughs> here we go. But verse 9, when, not if, when, he's talking to the crowd gathered at the temple there, when you hear of wars, commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. 
Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. And so all of these things are listed. They're listed in Matthew, they're listed in Mark, they're listed in um, Luke right here. And yet we have seen these things happen in history, and we are seeing these things happen again in history. Shock. You mean there was more than one war? More than one commotion? One, more than one pestilence? Of course. They've been plaguing the planet ever since the fall. Okay? Luke is helping these people to understand 38 years from now, this temple that you're looking at ain't going to be here no more. There's going to be an army come in, the Roman army, and they're going to destroy the whole thing. And there's going to be all of these things come to pass. Again, Matthew and Mark share the same thing, and yet I believe they're talking about things such as the Ezekiel chapter 38, battles of Armageddon and those things that come with the tribulation. Now, I'm saying all these things, and you guys can, in a heartbeat, to say, I don't accept it, I reject it, I disagree with you, um, and we can talk. And I think that's wonderful. But what I want you to see here is that Jesus is preparing those people there as much as He is preparing us here this very morning, okay? That He has the ability to do both of those things. But nations rising against nation and kingdom against kingdom. Okay, so this isn't just... Uh, a political thing, but it's a cultural thing. It's something that sweeps across society and all walks of life as it's going on. And uh, earthquakes in various places, famines, pestilences, there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you, persecute you, and deliver you up to the synagogues and prison. You will be brought before kings and rulers for my namesake, but it will turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. That word for testimony is where we get the English word martyr. It'll be an opportunity for you to live for Christ and possibly even die for Christ. But it's an opportunity for you to stand for Christ. It'll turn out for you as an occasion for testimony. Therefore... With all this commotion and all these wars and all this famine and all this pestilence, all this upheaval, signs in the heaven, crazy stuff going on, therefore, this is your application, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer or give your defense, your explanation. He says, don't do it. Don't waste your time trying to figure out what you're going to say when you're drawn before the, the cancel culture court, right? It's happening across all kinds of social media today, and people are getting all busy, you know, with all these different arguments and whatnot. And he says, man, the Holy Spirit's going to give you the word that you need when you need it. That grace is going to be efficient and available when you need it. He says, Verse 15, for I will give you a mouth and wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. And so all of those who would stand for Christ here gathered at Passover in the Temple Mount when 
the screws are tightened and the man comes down or whatever, oppression comes just as it did on all the apostles and Paul and those people writing in the New Testament, they all faced it and they all have wonderful things to say, but you don't have to worry about it. You know how it is that you can confess Christ and give testimony to Christ and stand for Christ in the midst of all kinds of persecution and tribulation, people hating on you and jeering you, heckling you, beating you, killing you. You know how it is that you'll be able to stand up for people and tell them about your Jesus when that day comes? You do it today. And you do it tomorrow. And you do it on Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, repeat. You do it all the time, and you won't have to worry about telling people about your Jesus when the screws are turned. You'll be doing it the whole time. Just give testimony. Just let that be a melody in your heart. Just be about your Father's business, always. And you won't have to worry about when that day comes, what am I going to say? <laughs> it's what you say. It's your song, you know? You just sing your song. It's your testimony. We read in the book of Revelation that when push comes to shove in the last days, we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb. You didn't overcome. Jesus Christ overcame for you. He paid the penalty for sin and for death and put Satan away. We overcome by the work, the finished work on the cross done in our place by the blood of the Lamb and by our testimony. That's how we overcome. Testimony. Remember what I said the word testimony is? Martyrdom. We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and our martyrdom. We die for Christ. We die to ourselves, okay? Jesus would say, if anyone would be my disciple, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me every day. That's how you do it, okay? And if you live dying to Christ, crucifying the old man and letting the new man, who is Christ in me, the hope of glory, shine forth, you're going to do great. You don't have to worry about it. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. Don't meditate. Don't get all wrapped up. What am I going to say? What am I going to do? I don't know what to do. I go out of the door this morning. I go to lunch. And we're there in the whatever. I see a guy in the next booth, and he's got some trip going on. Don't worry. Just be you. Let Jesus be your all in all. And you'll be Okay, I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. I'm sorry, and I should have finished the verse out. They will overcome by the blood of the Lamb, by their testimony, and they will not fear death. You won't count your life something that you have to hold on to. Let it go. <laughs> Let it go. It's in Jesus' hand. Really? So here's my life. God's given me my life, my personality, everything that I have, everything that I've worked for my whole life, my degrees, my family, my kids, my grandkids, my truck, my house, everything. That's just my, my life. I'm going to hold on to my life. And Jesus says, no, let it go. What do you mean, let it go? I really worked hard for that. And it's not even bad stuff. It's not like it's wicked, evil things. It's, it's good things. And Jesus says, yes, but if you let it go, I'll hold on to it. I'll take care of it. I've got your life in my hand. Nobody can snatch you out of my hand. 
yeah, that's a pretty good investment. That's probably where I need to put my life in Christ's hands, right? And not uh, covet my life unto the death. But give it away now. It's yours, Jesus. Do whatever you want with it. He, he usually writes a better script than me anyways. Verse 16, you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers. Are we watching this happen today? It happened in Jesus' day, and it continues. Relatives and friends, they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But not a hair on your head shall be lost. Now, wait a minute. I'm going to be put to death, but I'm not gonna, a hair of my head's not going to be lost? How does that work? As you have confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord, and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you are confessing that Jesus is able to raise you from the dead and that your hair won't be lost. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> the whole idea here, it's an idiom, but the picture is that once you have accepted Jesus Christ, you basically have made a conscientious decision to step into eternity. I am eternal, okay? I've already died to myself. When that day comes, when I stop inhaling and exhaling, I pass through the portals of eternity, and my next breath will be heavenly air. My next sight will be Jesus, and I am just continuing on with the whole process. So don't worry about your stuff, the hair of your head or whatever, as this idiom would say, um, you're going to be fine. He says, by your patience, possess your soul. Your patience, your perseverance. Just hanging in there, baby, right? Holding on, don't let go. And this happens to me. It happens to you. I know I get phone calls sometime and something is happened in your life that has just rocked your world to the core and you're shattered i get it because it happens to me and i'm shattered you think oh you can't get shattered you're a pastor pastors don't get shattered are you kidding me every human being we go to these moments you just don't see them coming and it's a gut punch you're just out you can't do anything but what i learned a long time ago and many of you can give an amen to this is that I go through these trials, these times of darkness, crying out to the Lord in the night. I don't know which end is up. I have no idea what to do, but just like David in the Psalms, he always circles back around, but you, God, are in heaven. You, God, are in control. And when everything seems to just fall apart on you, just don't let go. Just hold on. That's all. That's all you need to do is hold on, right? And he'll give you the strength to do it. And in fact, what's so beautiful is in your feeble attempt to hold on, oh God, help me. Oh, I can't do this. Oh. He grabs a hold of you. And you don't have to hold. He's got you. That's how it works. Okay? So by patience, possess your souls. Verse 20, but when. Okay? They wanted to know, when will these things be? He's still working on the answer. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Okay, okay, good, good idea. When I start seeing armies all the way around, and they're wanting to take us out, then that's probably 
when it's going to happen. I guess it's pretty close here. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart and not let those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe to those who are pregnant, to those who are nursing babies in those days. For there will be great distresses in the land and wrath upon this people. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Wow, that's scary stuff. That's intense stuff. But okay, when I see all that, I guess, I guess it's time. Okay, when is this temple going to be destroyed this this wonder of the world it's interesting and, and many of you who have studied history a little bit know this story Josephus who is an ancient historian Jewish historian hired by the Romans to write about the Jewish history they hired many people to write about the Germanic history or all the different areas that Rome was conquering let's know who these people are we'll find people to record their stories and Josephus re recorded all the stories of the Jews and in Josephus, Volume 6, in the Wars of the Jews, he recounts this situation that would happen in 70 A.D., 38 years from the time that Jesus is giving this message to them. And in this, um, General Vespasian is directed by Emperor Nero to go and attack what they would call Palestine. The, the Jews, because they're, they're rising up, they're getting rebellious, and we're going to put them down, we're going to quash it, we're gonna just going to squish them. So Vespasian, you go put them down. And so Vespasian took off with his son, Titus, and they started up in the Galilee region just, just putting to rest all the unrest. And they moved closer and closer to Jerusalem, and everybody saw it coming. And then Nero died in the midst of all this. And everything that he said is kind of off the table. And a big battle ensued over who would become the emperor. Well, General Vespasian beat feet back to Rome, and he prevailed and became Emperor Vespasian, leaving his son Titus to finish the job that he had started in Jerusalem. And so Titus starts moving in with all of his soldiers to surround and siege the city of Jerusalem. Historically, it's one of these things that people scratch their hair. It's one of those hair, head. It's one of these things that people go, huh, makes you go, huh, what happened? But as he was surrounding Jerusalem and setting up all these fortifications to put it under siege, uh, there was a day where the east gate of Jerusalem was left unguarded and open. And Christians, having this in their possession for 38 years now, or not that many, maybe 20 years, but Matthew wrote about it, Mark wrote about it, Luke wrote about it. No doubt all these people present, Jesus said this was going to happen. And when we saw all these people surrounded, we need to flee, okay? We need to not go into Jerusalem, we need to get out. And the Christians who were being persecuted, not only by Rome, but by all the Jews who had been just beat down to servitude. They had no possessions. They had no homes. They had no vineyards. They had nothing. They had nothing to lose. And when the gate was opened, they left. Josephus writes, not a single Christian died in the siege of Jerusalem. But Titus tightened the, the, the siege, built siege mounds, and over a year's period of time starved 
Jerusalem out. A million one hundred thousand people died of starvation. Josephus records they resorted to cannibalism, even women having babies so they could eat them. This is what happened. But God told them, (laughs) when you see these things happening, I'm giving you a way out. I'm giving you an escape. There's a path that you can get out through all of this. He says, woe to those who are pregnant, those who are nursing babies in those days, for there'll be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. That makes more sense when you know the history. Woe. Woe. And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And we're living in those times today. Even to this day, Gentiles hold sway over the world. Now, there is a passage in Romans chapter 11, verse 25, talking about Israel has been in blindness this whole time as concerns the, the church until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in, which is to say until the church is complete and every last Gentile has confessed Christ or every Jew. But as everybody becomes Christian, then God will take his church to be with him and he'll continue on with his work with Jerusalem. Many of these things that we see recorded, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, deal with Jews and Judaism. This is a Jewish Messiah speaking to Jewish pilgrims at their Jewish Passover. These are Jewish disciples on the Mount of Olivet asking, when is this Jewish temple going to be destroyed? And so you can't miss the context of everything going on here and the Jewishness of it. And yet, Jesus in the temple brings up the goyim, which is like a dirty word, okay? In Hebrew, there are no four-letter words or curse words or that kind of stuff that you have to put the little asterisks in for expletives. They don't use that. They use real words that are harsh, like they might call you a dog or something like that. That's like a Jewish curse word. But one of the words that any Jew would utter and it would just cause people to spit, tear their clothes, and gnash their teeth was goyim. Goyim from the Hebrew is translated to us Gentiles. Jesus had to bring up the Gentiles, didn't he? You just had to go there. This is Passover. We're the pilgrims. This is the temple. What are you talking about the G word for? Because that's what this is going to happen. You're going to lose your nation, your sovereignty. You're going to be dispersed across all the world. They call it a diaspora. And up until May 14th of 1948, Israel had no home, no nation. But in May 14th, 1948, Israel became a nation again. They've been going through a variety of convolutions. In the Six-Day War in June of 1967, they recaptured Jerusalem in that war. And it's been the capital of Israel ever since. They, they declared it a capital in 1950, but they actually moved in after the Six-Day War. And it wasn't until 1980 the Knesset actually said, Jerusalem is our internal capital forever. And yet in all of this, we find all these wars, rumors of wars, uh, commotions, pestilence, famines, all these things still just bearing down upon Israel as we look in the days that we're living here. 
Um, but Jesus would say, they will fall by the edge of the sword, be led away captive by, into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the gen- time of the Gentiles is fulfilled. That ends the when. Verses 25 through 36 will answer the what. What will the signs be of these things? I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up. And you're thinking, wait a minute. We're only halfway through. I'm going to stop there for the morning. Clock on the wall says, I need to let you go. (laughs) We'll pick up at this next week. But as we think about this, I'd just like to share with you what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. Now, the church in Corinth was primarily, brace yourselves, Goyim. Bunch of Gentiles. Bunch of folks like you. Paul, Jew of Jews, Hebrew of Hebrews, okay? He knew his Jewish scriptures. He knew his Jewish Messiah. He knew Judaism inside and out. But he was, a gen- he was an apostle to the Gentiles. God told him, with all of what you know about Jesus, I want you to go out and tell the whole world Jesus is coming. Get ready. And as he wrote his letter to the church in Corinth, writing from Rome, he writes in verse 18 of chapter 1, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. Stupid cross, silly cross. What's a cross? Why do you wear a cross? Isn't that like a symbol of torture and execution? What? kind of lunatic religion is this that you go around carrying like an electric chair or uh, I don't know some weird torture device on your neck or on your bumper sticker it's foolishness to those who are perishing the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it's the power of God for it is written I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. And in my mind, I can't help but think AI, artificial intelligence, artificial reality. Keep in mind the key word there, in my opinion, artificial. It's not divine. It's not holy. It's not based on reality. It's creating a different reality that even elect might be deceived. But we won't be deceived, will we? Verse 20 of 1 Corinthians, Paul says, Where is the wise? Good question, Paul. Where is the scribe, the lawyers? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. Can I get a hallelujah? Hallelujah. (laughs) Okay. For Jews request a sign. When will these things be and what will be the sign? That's next week, team. Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. To the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. 
But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. Thank God. Hallelujah. We have the truth. It set us free. We can stand by the blood of the Lamb, by the word of our testimony. We need not fear death. We not, need not cling to life. He holds us in His hands. He's called us and He's shown us what will happen in these last days. So as we look around and scratch our heads, which we all do, oh, I'm sure I'll probably get out of this pulpit and sometime this afternoon I'll open up my phone and I'll look at a news feed and go, on, didn't see that coming. It takes your breath away the way things are happening and just can't figure it out. And what you need to do is put your device away, get your Bible out, and pray. Feed on the Word of God, feed on the truth, and just get out there and get busy just being that light, being that love, being that joy, being that hope. And let them think that you're not of this world because you're not. Amen? Amen? Father God, I want to thank you this morning that uh, you've given us your son and that in him, Lord, we have uh, all things that we need, not only here in this world, but to get us to be with you forever. We look so forward to that day, but you have given us this day that we would take it and give it unto you. I pray that not only have we given you our time, our talent, and our treasure this past hour, but Lord Jesus, that we would continue doing so all the days of our life until we look into your eyes and just sing hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Amen? Amen. God bless y'all. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about the Springs Calvary Chapel, please visit our website at www.thespringscalvarychapel.org. Join us in person at the Springs in Hebron, Idaho, or here on the podcast as we worship together in spirit and in truth.